0: Good morning. Tim Tebow has recently written a book called This is the Day. And in there he talks about the fact that a few years ago uh, he was talking to his mom and his mom was reciting some of the earlier days of his mom and dad that they were called from the comforts of their home here in the United States to be missionaries in the Philippines. And while she is talking to Tim about this, he had been a young man at the time, didn't remember all that, she recited how many times that they were down to just a, a few cans of food in the kitchen and a $100 in their bank account. And how the mom would go to Tim Tebow's dad and say, what are we going to do? And Inevitably, every single time, he would look at her and say, we're going to do what we've always done, Pam. We're going to give the $100 away. And as Tim talked about that, he said, my mom shared that in every single case, every time we would do that, God would miraculously supply our needs. Someone would come to the home with food. Some other way God would supply their needs and never let them down. Today I want to talk about the fact that God entrusts every one of us with possessions and stuff and that there's certain things that we need to do in order to um, say thanks and support the kingdom of God and so on. So, I, I actually am going to be reading a few verses from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 19. And it's the parable of the talents, but talents actually are bags of gold. So, I want you to think of them in terms of money bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted, listen to this, his wealth to them. "...entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who would receive five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags gained two more." But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. God, I pray you open up our hearts and help us to hear your voice, your message today. And help us not just to hear it. But may our lives be forever changed on this subject. In Jesus' name, amen. Four lessons I learn in this parable. Number one, be grateful because you are wealthy. You say, well, Pete, you're not from around here. You don't know my circumstances. And yet I say again, be grateful because you are wealthy. How do I know this? All three people in this story received some gold some money according to a website called globalrichlist.com a family in the United States of America needs a total household family income of $32,000 per year to be in the top 1% worldwide that means that If you happen to be blessed enough as a family that your entire household income is at least $32,000, there's 99% of the 8 billion people on the planet looking up at you saying, boy, it would be nice to be one of those rich people. You are wealthy. We are wealthy. Look at this church. Look at what we have to wear. Look at the warmth, the clothes, the food, the air. We are a wealthy people. And I challenge us to be grateful, not grumbling. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether I get five bags of gold or two or one. And that was kind of my own slant on that at the end. Here's our problem. Many folks don't enjoy what we have because we're too busy looking at what other people have. And we look at the person with two bags of gold and the person with five, and we can't enjoy the one that we received. Dave Ramsey's daughter, Rachel Cruz, their office, if you've ever heard of Dave Ramsey, is not far from where my own office is in Franklin, Tennessee, She's written a recent book in the last few months and it's called Love Your Life, Not Theirs. Love your life. The one with the one bag of gold, he was grumbling, not grateful. He digs a hole and puts his in because after all, I don't have as much as the other person. So God wouldn't expect me to be faithful. It's all those rich people with the two bags and the five bags. That's who he's talking about. And I'm not going to be needing to be responsible because after all, I don't really have enough to be talking about. I mean, after all, the pastor brings this guy coming in to talk about money. Well, I don't have any money, so he's talking to everyone else. Be grateful because you are wealthy. The problem is we all think we're the people with the one bag of gold, And yet over 7 billion people on this planet today wake up and look at all of us in this room and say, you're the people with the five bags and the two bags of gold. Because we are wealthy. Count your blessings. Jesus made these comments. He said, If you're honest in small things, you'll be honest in big things. If you're a crook in small things, you'll be a crook in big things. If you're not honest in small jobs, who will put you in charge of the store? No worker can serve two bosses. He will either hate the first and love the second, or adore the first and despise the second. You cannot serve both God and the bank. We are blessed. Be grateful. Wake up every day and be grateful and thank God for the one bag of gold or some bag of gold or something that we have as resources and count your blessings. Number two, don't confuse lonership with ownership. You don't look at other people and say they have more because after all, we as Christians, none of us own anything. You know how freeing it is to just be able to say, I came into this world with nothing, I will leave with nothing. That person that you look at, that you say is so wealthy and they have the big house and the car, they're going to leave here with nothing too. Somebody was at Rockefeller's funeral and somebody came up and tapped him on the shoulder and says, I wonder how much he left. And the other one looked back and said, he left it all. That's exactly what he left. The same amount all of us will leave. It says a man went on a journey and entrusted his possessions to them. Did it ever ever become theirs? No, it always was just the owners and we are the managers. We have been loaned these things, but don't confuse loanership with ownership. He entrusted his wealth to them and wanted them to be faithful. My business partner, his name is John, and uh, he has three small boys, and uh, not long ago, he was driving in the car, and John lives in a very nice neighborhood, gated, big houses, all this kind of thing. His kids go to private school and so on, and so uh, his son Nathan was 11 years old. And he's driving along, and John was telling me about this later. And he says, you know, these kids can come up with the most amazing questions. We all know that. And Nathan looks at him and says, Daddy, are we rich? Well, that puts you on the spot. So uh, John then began to say, well, Nathan, you know, uh, we, we, your mom and I have worked really, really hard. And uh, God's been really, really good to us. And we have quite a few things that are very, very nice that a lot of people don't have. So, I guess by many in the world standards, you could say that we are rich. But son, you and your brothers, you are very, very poor. You see, John and Mary Ann owned the stuff. It was entrusted to the kids to enjoy, but... They're still very, very poor. God entrusts us whatever it is that we have so that we can be faithful and not fall in love with it. There's nothing wrong with having things, a nice church, nice clothes and food and a car to drive and those kind of things. But unfortunately, many people want to appear like they have five bags of gold when they really have two. Will Rogers said, we'll show the world we're prosperous even if we have to go broke to do it. And we live in a modern-day society of consumerism and materialism, and it's really easy as Christians even to get caught up into that. Let me ask you a question. Are you living by the verse, to live is Christ, to die is gain? Or are you living like, to live is gain and to die is Christ? The one with the most toys just leaves more toys behind. For we brought nothing into this world and we will take nothing out of it. Do not confuse loanership with ownership. True financial freedom is realizing I don't own anything. I don't own anything. But what I've been entrusted with I will be faithful to the owner of that. John Ortberg wrote a book, he said, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. That's exactly what happens. Number three, accountability leads to dependability. Verse 19, after a long ways or a long time, the master of those servants returned home and what did he do? He settled accounts with them. And what that tells me is that one day accountability will come to us. And accountability and knowing that we're going to be accountable brings dependability of what we have. He settled accounts with them. You see, I believe strongly in giving. I want to give more every single year. He settled accounts with them of everything he had entrusted with them, and he didn't say to the one with five bags, I'm only interested in you being accountable for one-tenth of the five bags of gold or one-tenth of the two bags of gold or one-tenth of the one bag of gold it said he settled accounts with them on everything that they had been given we don't just give what we're supposed to give and then do whatever we want with what's left over because after all that's all that God asks of us if we are totally belonging to God Everything we have, all 100% of the one bag of gold, all 100% of the two bags of gold, the five bags of gold, we are one day going to be accountable for. Someone asked me one time, they said, Pete, you're a finance guy. Should I tithe on the gross or the net? And I looked at them and I said, well, do you want to be grossly blessed or netly blessed? How about it? I want to be grossly blessed. I just do. I don't want to give as little as I can, I want to give as much as I can. I pray every year that next year we can give a lot more than we gave this year. Not get away with as little as we can and then we get lots left over. You see, we will give account of everything we have been entrusted with. Time every hour, every talent, treasures every dollar. We are accountable. And because we know we're going to be accountable, it makes us dependable. You see, there are five categories of giving. Five categories. I call the bottom category a random tipper. A random tipper. That's that person that just randomly every once in a while as the spirit might move or they feel guilty or something, they just reach in their pocket and pull out a dollar and they randomly tip. And they say, oh, that's, that's good. I've, I've done well. And they randomly tip what they have. One day, that person may elevate to what I call the next category of giving. And that is what I call a regular contributor. That's a person that's not just random anymore. They're pretty regular. It's not just reach in my pocket every now and then, but... They regularly give something. And then that person sometimes graduates to the next level, and that's what I call a resolute tither. A resolute tither is that person that, I mean, they're up Saturday night. If it takes them 90 minutes, they're going to calculate exactly how much they made that week. And they would feel like, Somehow they're going to be stricken down and die if they gave one penny or one dollar short or if they, God forbid, gave one penny or one dollar more than what the exact amount was. They're a regular or a reg, uh, rather a resolute tither. Then a few people, probably some in this church, go to the next level and that is what I call a radical giver. A radical giver—that's that person that not just ties, but they look for every opportunity. Like this thing I read in the uh, bulletin: missions, faith, promise. Over and above, our missions, faith, promise goal for the year is 30, thirty-one thousand. I just thought I'd throw that out there to you. See, I'm sneaking around finding stuff out about this great church and all the missionaries and generous ministries that are benefiting today and every year because you faithfully give and are a radical giver, not just a resolute tither, but you love it when there's extra opportunities to give. And I'm going to put me in there. We're only 40% to the goal. So I think we got to step her up a little bit here. I think that would be great. Got to reach that goal of $31,000. We need some radical givers. And I bet there's some right out there today that just had forgotten about that. You know, see, I can come in and hit and run. And if you don't like it, you can't find me. I'm in Tennessee later today. But I love talking about giving because I love to give. And I bet I'm speaking to a lot of people Who love to give. And you are a radical giver. Oh but you know what? There's one more category. There's one category called. Ridiculously generous. Uh, Do you know any ridiculously generous people? I do. One day. I'm going to get there. I'm going to work really really hard. And I have to. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm striving. That one day before God calls me home. I'll be a ridiculously generous person. Let me ask you a question. What category would you put God in? Is God a random tipper? Is he kind of a regular contributor? You know, shows up fairly regularly. Or is God ridiculously generous? For God so loved the world, he gave the best. That's ridiculously generous. You see, I think we're most like Jesus when we take what the world worships and we generously sow it into the kingdom and kingdom work. I'm praying that God calls some people today, that whatever category you might honestly say you're in, to somehow pray to God that God will call you to climb the ladder. And be ridiculously generous, because you know what? I think the happiest people in every church today, the happiest people, you talk about happiness and kind of that series, and I didn't know that this kind of flowed into it, the happiest people in the world are not takers, they're givers. They wake up every day wanting to sow seeds of generosity in any way that they possibly can. Number four, the more we give, the more we have. You know, have you found that the Bible is kind of like, you know, sometimes it doesn't make sense. If you want to save your life, you lose it. You know what I mean? It's the same here. And what Tim Tebow said in his book about his parents. How are we going to be okay? well, Pam, we're just going to give it away. We think that the more we get the more we have. But the Bible teaches us that the more we give, the more we have. Proverbs eleven twenty four. One person is generous and yet grows more wealthy. But another withholds more than he should and he comes to poverty. There it is. Black and white. Right in the book of Proverbs. One person is generous, he gives it away like Tim Tebow's dad. And what happened? He became more wealthy. But another withholds more than he should and comes to poverty. And I'm not just talking about money here. Oh, you mean if I just give it all away, God's just going to pour all kinds of money into my life? And, you know, you're one of these that preaches that, you know, we're all going to be enormously rich and wealthy and all. No, not at all. Proverbs 22 and 9, a generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor tell you a story about my daughter, Ginger, our daughter, Ginger. <clears throat> she had her 40th birthday, and her birthday is November the 8th, so just a few days ago. Forty years old, but this wasn't just recently. She's 42 now, but she was 40 years old, and it had been the worst year of her life. If I can say it in church, it was a year from hell. Literally, beginning early in that year, she got some kind of a back nerve issue that just came out of nowhere and put her down. When I say put her down, I mean on the couch, 23 hours a day looking at the floor because it's the only comfortable position that she could get in, and there was no relief. We went to doctors. We went we all over the universe looking. We had people praying for her all over the world. Everything that was tried failed. And I mean, she had to quit her job. She quit two courses shy of her master's degree. She couldn't take care of her children anymore. She couldn't cook food. She couldn't clean. She couldn't drive a car. She couldn't go out of the house. She couldn't go to church. She couldn't uh, be a wife to her husband. I mean, that's the year that she had month after month. And I mean, we tried everything, and we looked everywhere, and we talked to every back doctor there was, and that we knew that money could buy, or that you could get in touch with. And again, we had Swoo was praying. Kingswood, our church, all kind of. Hundreds of churches. But as the year went on, about halfway through the year, it did start to get a little bit of relief. So maybe some days she could sit up for like two hours a day. And then on and on until pretty soon you had August. She was getting somewhat better. September, a little bit better. October, a lot better. And then by her birthday, by then, she could actually get to church, drive her car, have quite a few hours of Uh, less pain and manageability and so on and not back to work yet, not back to school and everything, but a lot was happening. And the good news today is I can report that even though it's not 100% healed, she is back to work. She has... uh, uh, finished her master's degree she is able to live a fairly normal life but with this issue still there but anyway it's her 40th birthday and she'd been doing pretty good the weeks previous to that so it's november the 8th it's her birthday and i of course you know because kids don't answer their phones do they do that in central do they, like this is a computer it's a calculator it's a text machine and everything they don't know yet that you can actually answer it if somebody calls you, so I texted my daughter Ginger first thing in the day, and I said this, I said, Ginger, since you're starting to really feel better, and this has been an amazingly horrible year for you, health-wise and otherwise, just been so hard. I hope that your children wake up in the morning and I hope they cook you the most amazing breakfast ever. I hope they wait on you hand and foot. I hope your husband takes the day off and treats you royally. I hope they give you money and you can go get your nails done and your toes done. And you can get a massage and you are treated like the queen that you deserve. I hope that happens for you. And that was my birthday greeting to her first thing in the morning. And by late morning, I still hadn't heard anything. By after lunch, I still hadn't heard anything. Mid-afternoon, I still hadn't heard anything. And I'm her dad. I'm starting to get irritated because I'm not hearing anything from her. Finally, late afternoon, I get a text. Of course I get a text. The text went something like this. I got the boys to take school off today. And we, together at the home... ...made several dozen batches of cookies for a few friends that I knew were struggling with various things. And then together we delivered flowers, crazy daisies in mason jars to several people... That I was thankful for. And I took the rest of the little bouquets and cookies that were left over to the nursing home. To the staff to give to people in the nursing home. Who didn't get visits often. With a tag that said the world is a better place because you are in it. That's ridiculously generous. My daughter teaching me a lesson. We need more of that. We can all do things to be ridiculously generous. You see, the world is focused on radical consumption. God calls us to radical contribution. And if we answer the call, people around us are going to be freaked out. They're going to be amazed. They're going to be like, what is with these weird people? But they're going to love it and they're going to want what we have. You see, the antidote to the culture's love for money and things is contentment and give money away. I mean, when they see us getting more kick And joy and happiness out of investing in others that Ginger knew that what would give her the greatest joy that day was investing in other people, not about me. So what is my point today? Can we all agree that the stakes have never been higher? We talked today about war and many who made the ultimate sacrifice. And I am so thankful to all of you who stood and for the people in our country that have given, but there's another war. There's an all-out assault on your kids and grandkids and my kids and grandkids and the kids that are in your neighborhood and the people that go to Sunday school classes here and go to church and that are going to the schools tomorrow. Gabe Lyon goes to the same church I do in Franklin, Tennessee. He's written a book called Good Faith, Being a Christian When Society Thinks You Are Irrelevant and Extreme. And in there, he talks about the fact that the enemy is playing with big guns, and we are so often showing up with a pea shooter, a water pistol. And we're saying, is that good enough? That's, that's God said, you know, if I give this much... That I'm good. Is that, is that good enough? In the war that's waging today? Well I have news for you. ISIS recruitment is through the roof. We often think that. Well we don't want to ask for too much. Because you know if we really talk about extreme discipleship. And giving everything and all that. That it's going to turn people off. These people are recruited To give their very life. And there's people lining up to say, I wanna be part of something like that, where they believe it enough that they're willing to give everything. Some of my best friends in the financial business are another firm that they're in the Mormon church, very, very dedicated. And it's growing leaps and bounds. And all of their teenagers, give two years of missions work before they ever go out into their career and believe me there's plenty of them that are eager to go do it and live two years of ridiculously generous everything's for somebody else and then the rest of their life just carries on that same theme I think God is calling us to give more a life of ridiculously generosity when we have little and we're poor to give richly when we have much to give richly to give everything I started this message with Tim Tebow I'm going to ask you another question I know that some people around here not very many but a few like football but There's another football player I'm going to ask you if you've ever heard of, and his name is Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice is perhaps, some of you will take opposition to this, but is perhaps the greatest football player that's ever lived. You see, he was a receiver for the San Francisco 49ers, and even though you've got great quarterbacks today, That one inches ahead of the other, you got Peyton Manning, and then Drew Brees, and then that guy up in New England, you know, that nobody's ever heard tell of, but you got all the, and you know what, I'm not sure exactly who's the best, but there's argument for each, but when it comes to receivers, there's a clear choice. You see, one quarterback may be that much better than the other when all is said and done, but when it comes to receivers, there's never been anyone like Jerry Rice, you see, He's that far ahead of the guy in second place. You see, the guy in second place, when it comes to touchdowns, he is 42 touchdowns behind Jerry Rice. 42 behind. You know, most people that are great receivers that might even make it into the Hall of Fame don't even score 42 touchdowns their whole career. He's 42 touchdowns ahead of the person in second place. He is so good. So I do quite a bit of speaking around to different places, and I have a lot to learn. So I have a coach, and his name is Bo Eason. Bo Eason also used to play professional football. Now is a communications expert, trainer, coach to people uh, that do a lot of speaking on television, the radio, other kinds of things. Because that's not really what my expertise was growing up. And so Bo Eason's my coach. So Bo Eason also spent five years in professional football. And he tells this story about Jerry Rice. And he says... In his last couple of years of playing football, Bo Eason, he was traded to the San Francisco 49ers. And he said, hey, this is cool. I get to play with maybe the greatest football player that has ever played. Now, Bo Eason made five years in the NFL, but he was not the most talented person. But as a kid, when he was eight years old, his dad taught him many things And his dad told him, Bo, you've got talent, but you're not the most talented. You're going to have to outwork everybody. And so he said, you need to be the first one to practice every time. And you need to be the last one to leave. And Bo Eason, for 20 years, was the first one to practice and the last one to leave. So he gets traded in the summer. To the San Francisco 49ers, and now it's preseason. It's California. It's 110 degrees, and it's the first day that they're going to go out to preseason for their practices. And so Bo Eason shows up at the stadium, and sure enough, the lights are out in the clubhouse. He gets ready, gets his garb on, and he walks out on the field. And he looks out and he said, Yep, same as always, first one here. And then he looked over there. And his eyes couldn't believe what he was seeing because somebody was out on the football field. Somebody had beaten him to the practice field. And it was Jerry Rice. He said, This can't be. It wasn't one of the lesser players that was trying to make the team, it was Jerry Rice that had beaten him for the first time in 20 years to practice. And so he goes out and does some drills, and Jerry Rice does some drills, and then some other of the players start showing up on the field to the practice. I mean, guys like Joe Montana, pretty good players. Randy Cross, pretty good players. And they show up, and so they start going through the drills in their game. So i got to kind of show it to you. So you've got Jerry Rice... He is a receiver. So he's over here in the receiving line. And listen, it's preseason. Don't break a sweat. Don't break a leg. Don't get injured. Just kind of work through the drills, first practice. And so you've got the receivers over here. Jerry Rice is in that line. Over here, you've got two or three quarterbacks. They're going to lob balls to the guys to start warming up. So the receivers are over here. The first guy looks over at Joe Montana, kind of jogs out lightly, catches the ball, walks it back to Joe Montana, gets back in the line. Next guy, same thing. Then it's Jerry Rice's turn, and Bo said, everybody kind of stopped everything and looked, and it's, Joe, and it's Jerry Rice's turn to catch the ball. He looks over at Joe Montana, and all of a sudden, it's like, woo! And he runs out, catches the ball, and he runs all the way to the end, to the end, to the end zone in the other end. A hundred yards, full sprint, turns around, came a hundred yards back, full sprint, hands the ball to Joe Montana. Bo was like, Where's he going? What's he doing? Next guy gets up. <laughs> and he goes out, jogs in place, does it, gets back. Pretty soon Jerry Rice's turn again. Same thing, Vroom. catches the ball, runs all the way to the other end of the end zone, full speed ahead like Usain Bolt, and turns around, same thing, all the way back. And Bo Eason said he did that for three hours. Three hours, full speed, every time he got the ball. Well, the practice finally ended about two and a half hours later, and the last two people to leave the field were Bo Eason And Jerry Rice. And Bo goes up to Jerry and he says, Jerry, he said, man, he says, what are you doing, man? What in the world is all that? And he said, what Jerry Rice then told him changed his life forever. Jerry Rice looked at Bo Easton and he said, Bo, he said, you see, when these hands touch a ball, this body is to end up in an end zone. He said, I've been given a talent. And he said, owners pay me gigantic amounts of money. Fans come to the stadium to see me play. My coach has expectations of me. How dare I jog through life? Wow. Ridiculously generous with the talent. God had given to him I don't even know where he stands as far as faith but a few years later Bo Eason's wife came in to him when they were getting ready one morning and said guess what I just saw on the TV your buddy Jerry Rice is going to be on Dancing for the Stars and Bo Eason looked at his wife and he said and he's going to win and he did and he did Because he learned something and he understood something that we all need to understand. If he's going to be that generous with his talent to the owner, the coaches, the players that come to watch him play a sport, how dare we jog through our Christian life with just good enough? When there's a war going on, And God calls us to be ridiculously generous. And we can be. And I'm asking every one of us, and me too, to really put ourselves in a place where we say, God, from head to foot, everything that we have, every talent, every minute, every dollar, every everything, it's all yours. I want to be ridiculously generous. I don't want to be good enough to get by and get into heaven I want to make a difference. I can make a difference. Lives are at stake. The mission is great. And Trinity Wesleyan and the leaders that you have are amazing. And I've met the most generous, amazing, beautiful, friendly people over the last few days. I'm I'm just saying that it's not that people aren't giving and then that people aren't doing, but what if we all stepped it up just a little bit? What a difference it could make in Central and into our area. So I'm going to close this way. I'm just going to ask everyone to stand. And everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. And I just want that not that you haven't done this before, but for all of us today who say, not not that I haven't been giving anything, not that I haven't been giving, given much, giving much, but when I get ready to pray, I'd like, if you can reach up to God and say, God, in my life, whatever it is in any way that I can. I want to be whatever days I have left, I want you to know that I want to be one of the ones that wants to be ridiculously generous with what you've entrusted to me. I want you to raise your hand up to him and just say, yes, God. Raise your hand high if that's you. God, you see the many people and you know their hearts. Thank you today for a great church and a great people with a heart for God that that want to be generous, that want to show generosity, that want to take that one bag of gold or two or five, whatever trust that they have been given, and they want to invest it in kingdom-building work. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. I sense it, and I thank you for what you're going to do, and thank you for all the people who are saying right now, yes and amen, God, here I am. Take what I have and make a difference in this world. And we thank you for all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for having me. God bless.